Anybody have a question you want to ask this morning? We've been kind of looking at um, looking at the the different laws. Um, obvi- the law of Moses, of course, we understand that is what was given to um, Moses and to Israel on Mount Sinai. A lot of times we think that's where the law began. Uh, but as we've been looking, we've seen the law of God was something that God gave from the very beginning, right? Um, and the Bible tells us that how God has placed that in in the hearts of men, God's law there, okay? Um, and so really we kind of went back through uh, before Exodus chapter 20 where we have God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and we've been able to see all of, basically all of the Ten Commandments uh, before God gave the law to Israel, Okay, Uh, because these were things that God had uh, given not just for Israel, but for all of mankind. Okay, Um, and uh, of course, specifically uh, to Israel, that was part of the law that God gave to Moses. But it, um, but then you had the ceremonial laws and the religious laws and things like that, uh, which were specifically for Israel. But the law of God concerning what we would say, kind of the Ten Commandments, we have seen. Uh, really from the very beginning, all the way back from Genesis, um, really chapter 2 and chapter 3, and all the way through, uh, we've been looking at these the, the law of God, right? Um, and so, um, let me find out who, where we're at here. We've, I think we've gone through all ten of those. Um, and so the law of Moses included the moral laws, but also the ceremonial and the civil laws, uh, but let's look in Genesis chapter, uh, sorry, not Genesis, Galatians, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, right? Galatians chapter 6, <clears throat> I think I left you with this um, last week. He says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? And so here uh, we understand that there's a law of God and then there we have the law of Moses that was given to Israel and things, but Paul speaks about the law of Christ, okay? Um, what would we say is the law of Christ then? Because Paul speaks about the law of Christ and um, what is this uh, What is this law of Christ and why is, why is he speaking of this? Is the law of Christ different from the law of Moses? Would we say the law of Christ is different from the law of Moses? Anybody? Would the law of Christ be different from the law of Moses? Yes, I heard. I think I heard a yes. Joe. Yes and no. (laughs) That was the easy way out. Yes and no. Right. Go ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So remember, the law of Moses contains three. If we would say three groups of laws, right? You have the moral law, um, you have ceremonial law or like religious laws, but then you have civil laws, okay? Um, and so 
when we would say, is the law of Christ, and, and I, I like what Joe said there, is the law of Christ the same as the law of Moses? Um, yes and no, right? Would we say the law of Christ has to do with the, um, the ceremonial laws that were given to Moses on Mount Sinai? No, right? Because, again, those were specifically for Israel, right? So when we think about the law of Christ, we understand that's not, that's not including the ceremonial laws and things, okay? So what would we then say when he says the law of Christ, okay? Hold, hold your place here. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and notice what Jesus says here in verse number 30. Um, well, go back up to verse number 34. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Okay. So again, remember when, when the Bible speaks of a lawyer, um, it's not the same type of lawyer that we would think of today. Okay? Now, again, a lawyer has to do with what? Laws, right? Laws. That's the first part of it, L-A-W, right? Lawyer. They have to do with the laws. Okay? But again, understanding in this day, in Jesus' day, he's not talking about like laws that we have. He's talking about what laws? What laws would a lawyer be speaking of in Jesus' day? Well, it would be all the law of Moses, right? It would be the whole law of Moses because that's what the Jews were under at that time, right? They're under the law of Moses, okay? So that is the ceremonial laws. That is the moral laws. That is the civil laws, right? So a lawyer was one that was supposed to understand all of those laws, right? They were to understand them. They were to help explain them, teach them, right? Um, so that's that you have this lawyer. So one of them, which was a lawyer, and again, I don't, I don't think that God puts anything in here by, by chance. He's specifically showing that this is a lawyer that's supposed to understand the laws, right? Just like many times when the Pharisees would come and ask him religious questions, and he's like, look, you're supposed to be the ones understanding these spiritual questions, but yet you don't, okay? And the same thing with this lawyer. He comes, and he asks him a question, tempting him. So again, notice the whole purpose of the question is not to really understand, but he's trying to tempt Jesus to get him to fall because he is just, in verse number 34, he had put the Sadducees to silence, right? The Sadducees couldn't get any, they couldn't get anywhere with Jesus. They couldn't prove him wrong. So here comes a lawyer now. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So he's asking, of all the laws that are there, and when you go back and you'll study, you'll find there are over 600 laws given to Israel, right? In all of the ceremonial uh, the civil and moral laws, there's over 600 laws, okay? And so here this lawyer comes and says, which is the great commandment in the law? Now watch what Jesus says. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, okay? So Jesus responds and he says, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to just think about this for a second. 
where do we find that law? Where do we find that law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Well, a lot of times people say, well, the Ten Commandments, right? Well, we just went through the Ten Commandments. Did we, do any of the Ten Commandments say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Now, it says, uh, it says we're not to have any other gods before us, right? It says we're not supposed to bow down to any other gods and make graven images, right? But it doesn't specifically say to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay? There's, there's in, the, in the law, now again, Jesus or God does tell Israel later on to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, but we wouldn't necessarily think that that's included in the laws that God has given. Okay? Now, we understand in order to put God first, right, and in order to um, not have any graven image and not bound down to any of these things, then we ought to love God first, okay? But then I want you to notice what he says secondly. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, okay? So again, let me ask this question. What law do we specifically find that says, love your neighbor as yourself? There isn't one, right? Now, we understand when you look at the second part of the, the commandments, you know, you're not supposed to steal and you're not supposed to murder and you're not supposed to do those different things. We would say, well, that kind of, that kind of shows how you're supposed to treat your neighbor, right? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing, right? Again, there was no specific law that says, you know, if you're going to look at the Ten Commandments, there's no specific law there that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There's no specific commandment that says love your neighbor as yourself. But yet Jesus says, when asked what is the great commandment, Jesus says, and he responds with these two commandments. Okay, And then notice what does he say. Watch what he says. In verse number 40, on these two commandments hang, what's that next word? All the law and the prophets. Right? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So basically, every command comes from these two commandments right here. Why does God say we're not supposed to have any other gods before him? Because we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Why does God say that we're not to make any graven image and bow down to them? Because we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Why does God say not to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Because we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. You see what he's saying here, right? When we come to the second one that he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Again, if I'm not going to, if I'm going to love my neighbor, then I'm not going to steal from him. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I'm not going to murder. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I'm not going to commit adultery. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to lie, bear false witness, right? So what Jesus is doing is basically taking, he's taking all the commands, all the commandments, 
and bring them down basically into two, right? And, and this is where, if you've been going through our study on Sunday night, um, I, I, made a, <laughs> I made a statement on Sunday night that I, I, I really like. Um, it was not original with me. Somebody else uh, read this, or I read it, and somebody else said it. Um, rules are for, anybody remember what I said? Rebels. Rules are for rebels. Or boys, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah, rule, why, why do we have to have laws? Why do we have to have laws? Because we're rebels. We're rebels, right? That's, that is part of our sin nature, right? We are sinners by nature, by birth, right? We are rebellious by nature. And so because of our rebellion, God has to place Laws. Man has to place laws. I mean, we've got all kinds of laws, right? I'll be very honest. I have no idea how many laws we have in America. That would be a very interesting statistic. (laughs) How many laws are there in America, right? Maybe there's more than 600 that God gave to the Jews. I don't know, right? Um, But the reason that those laws are there is because we are rebellious, okay? And so, you know, and again, so many times people can say, well, what about the laws of Moses? And what about the ceremonial laws? And what about the civil laws? And what about all these different kinds of laws? And Jesus basically comes and says, look, there are two laws. Two laws you ought to live by. And if you will follow these two laws, you don't have a problem with any of the other ones. Two laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor. But notice he puts something in there. As yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just like you wouldn't want somebody to steal from you, then you shouldn't steal from them. You wouldn't want somebody to lie about you, therefore we shouldn't lie about them, right? And so he brings this down and basically says there are two laws that love the Lord your God with all your heart and thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He repeats this in Mark chapter 12. In verse 30 and 31. And then in Luke chapter 10. In verse 25 and 27. On these two commandments. Okay. Now again think about this. If you think about this. This can be seen all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. Right. In Genesis chapter 4. With Cain and Abel. We find these two commandments. Did Cain love God? No. Now, you say, well, but he brought a sacrifice. Well, that's true. But notice, God, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? Did Cain love God the way that Jesus says we're to love God? Now, did Cain love God? Probably. I mean, why is he bringing a sacrifice to God if he didn't love God? Right? If, if there was no love for God, I don't think he would have even brought a sacrifice. 
So there's, there's, some, there's some love, there's some respect for God in that way, but not fully. Right? Can we not say that no doubt there are many Christians that love God, but not fully? No doubt there are Christians all over America today, some maybe even in this building. I love God. That's why I'm here. I'm here at church because I love God, right? But we don't love Him fully. with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We love him. We're here. You know, some of you gave in the offering. You know, and when we're going to sing, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing songs and, and praise to God. But it's not a full love. It's like Cain. It's a partial love. God, I'm going to love you the way that I want to love you. I'll bring the sacrifice, but I'm going to bring the sacrifice that I want to bring. I'll come to church, God, and I'll give and I'll sing, but I'm only going to love you to the extent that I want to love you. Wait a minute. Jesus says the greatest commandment is not to come to church, not to bring the right sacrifice, not to give, not to sing. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. Do we do it? So think with me about this, right? We were, we were in Galatians. Just watch, Okay. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Hold your place there in Matthew because we're going to come back to that. And again, you're going to find that in Matthew chapter 22. You're going to find it in Mark chapter 12. You're going to find it in Luke chapter 10, right? Jesus refers back to these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So come back to Galatians chapter 6. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what's happening here? Well, in verse number one, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what he's giving here is this, he's giving this illustration. He's saying, look, if there is a brother or a sister who falls into sin and they are overcome with a fault, then he says, as a Christian, we don't just kick them out, and we don't just throw them out and just say, hey, you know, you're ungodly, you, you, you fell, and, and whatever it might be. No, no, no. He says, ye which are spiritual. And what, what, we, what you find in a lot of cases in a church where somebody has maybe fallen or something, and they're doing church discipline or whatever, it's the people that are trying to handle the discipline are not spiritual. There's no spirituality there at all. Because if we're going to handle this properly, he says, you which are spiritual, and then notice this next word, 
restore. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, right? The whole purpose of discipline and things is to try to help restore that person to where they used to be. Not to judge them and punish them and, and, and convict them and get them out. No, no. The purpose is to restore them. That's, what, that's why you have to have somebody spiritual. Because the carnal wants to just throw them away. The carnal wants to just say, hey, you fell, you had your chance, get out of here. We don't want you anymore. Whoa, wait a second. No, that's, that's, that's carnal. But the spiritual is going to say, hey, wait a minute. My love for God is important here. My love for God is right. And so I understand how much God loves me, and I understand how much God is willing to forgive me. And therefore, if God is willing to forgive me and love me, I need to work with this person to try to help to get them to be made right. We're not talking about loss of salvation here, okay? We're not talking about somebody losing their salvation, okay? That should never, ever be questioned here, okay? I mean, at First Baptist Church, that should never be questioned. Can somebody lose their salvation? Can they not lose it? That should never be a question here, right? But we are to try to restore them. Why? Because they've fallen, okay? And then watch what he says. In the spirit of meekness... Right, so there's humility there. It's not pridefulness. How I, how how could you fall? And you know you're such a horrible person. I mean, I could never do that. Right. Well, he says the very next thing: uh, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what he's saying? Every one of us are capable to fall. Every single one of us are capable of falling. Okay. Doesn't matter who it is. Every single person, as a Christian, is capable of falling. Everyone. You say, oh, pastor, not you. No, pastor's included. By the way, that's why it's important that we follow Christ. We're not following the man, we're following Christ. Now, as the man follows Christ, we can follow him. But I see this so many times. When a, when a pastor falls, everybody just, well, I'm just done with church because I couldn't believe the pastor fell. So I'm just done with church? I'm done with God? Well, why is that? Because you were following a man, not following Christ, right? You're not following Christ. You're following a man. So when that man falls and he disappoints you, you just give up on God completely, okay? But as we follow Christ, understanding, hey, every one of us are able to be tempted. Every one of us are able to fall, okay? Now, again, we don't want that to happen, but we have to understand it's possible for every one of us, right? So what does he say here in verse number two? Bear ye one another's burdens, so what do we need to do? We need to come alongside people and encourage them. We need to help them. We need to lift them up, right? Uh, if they have fallen, we need to work to try to restore them. But even before they fall, we ought to try to be encouraging to them. We ought to try to uplift them. We ought to try to help them, right? Um, that's why I, it's so important. It's so, so important, right? Um, for, for Christians in, in a church, in, in this, um, what we would say in this family setting, right? We're, we're a family. We're the family of God right? It's so important for you to encourage other people. You need encouragement. They need encouragement, right? We need to encourage one another. And so often what happens is we just come to church, right? We come in, it's like going to work. We punch in, we're there at church, and when church is over, we punch out, and we don't think about anybody else in the church throughout the week. We don't bother anybody else in the church throughout the week. We're not thinking about them. We're not trying to get together with them. We're not praying for them. We're not... And it's just like the only time that we ever think about church, 
family is when we're here. Now, let me ask you a question. When you're here and, you know, it's a few minutes before church and a few minutes after church, are you really going to be able to get to know somebody? No, you're not really going to be able to get to know them. And if you really can't get to know them, let me ask you this. How are you going to help bear their burdens? How are you going to help bear their burdens when you don't know them? Because this is what he says. Bear ye one another's burdens. And watch, by doing this, what does he say? So fulfill the law of Christ. What are you doing? Those two principles, we're loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and our neighbor as ourself. Right? And so when you think about this, Jesus is saying this is showing how important this is. Because again, think about it. Because Cain did not love God right, his love for God was not right. He had love for God, but it wasn't fully Therefore, because he didn't love God right, guess what he didn't love right? His brother. His love for God was not right. Therefore, his love for his brother was not right. You mean to tell me that if Cain would have loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and he would have done what God wanted him to do, you think he would have still murdered his brother? Of course not. We don't even really have to answer that question. It's, it's obvious. No, he wouldn't. Then why did he murder his brother? Because he did not fulfill the greatest commandment in loving the Lord God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and all of his mind. Right? And this is why Jesus says, when this lawyer comes tempting him, what is the great commandment? thinking that somehow in all of these 600, somehow he's going to pick out one commandment out of all of these, right? What is it going to be? Is it going to be commandment number one in the Ten Commandments to uh, have no other gods before me? Is it going to be, uh, you know, is it going to be the, the sacrifice, you know, bring the blood sacrifice? What is this, what is the commandment going to be that Jesus is going to bring? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, let's, let's just be honest this morning. The people that we have trouble with at work and at home and neighbors and family and things like this, if we don't love them right, is it not a result because our love for God is not full? It's not all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul. He says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. How we treat others in the second commandment has to do with our relationship with God in the first commandment. doesn't matter if it's in marriage doesn't matter if it's with our children, doesn't matter if it's with coworkers, doesn't matter if it's um, you know neighbors or who, family, whoever it is. It all comes down to these two commandments. And this is what Jesus emphasizes here, right? Yes, he understands there's over 600 laws, right? 
But Jesus said there's two commandments that you can hang all of them on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Corey? Right, yeah. But then something that's always kind of got me was this at chapter 4, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look at, well, look at what he's saying here. But let every man prove his own work, right? In other words, again, I can't, I can't say why somebody's doing something, right? I can't say why you're here at church today. I, I hope you're here because you love God. I hope you're here because you want to worship the Lord. I can't say why you're here, right? So he says, let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, okay? So only you know why you do what you do. Okay? Nobody else does. Only you know that. Okay? You know if your heart is right, if your motives are right or not. Nobody else can know that. They can see what you do. We can see that you're here. We can see that you sing or whatever it might be, but nobody really knows what is in the heart. Okay? So he says that's where you have to test your own heart. You have to make sure that what you're doing is as a result of the love for God. Right? Okay? And then he says, then you can have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now think about this. How are we going to bear our own burden? How does somebody bear their own burden? Christy? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Right? Ms. Leslie? Okay. And even, I can't tell, like in this verse where it says brothers, if they may have been taken over in false teaching Christians, mm-hmm. but is this man, is this man that he's talking of that has been taken over in false, is he truly a Christian? Or if he, is he 
Okay. So maybe kind of comparing a saved person with a lost person. True. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. God doesn't see our sin. Right. Mm-hmm. Miss Emily. Yeah, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Yeah, because we, yeah, I mean, he talks about, you know, we'll reap what we sow. Um, you know, we can't, we can't deceive God. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Okay. Um, well, I, th- I think when you look at the passage here, okay, um, again, we can look at it several different ways, but we want to just let Scripture speak for itself. I don't think he's speaking a contrasting saved and lost people here, right? He's dealing specifically with the church. He's dealing with believers. And that's why he just went through in chapter 5 the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is something that only can be produced in Christians, okay? can't be produced in a lost person. It can only be produced in Christians. But at the same time, a Christian can also walk in the flesh, Okay? So again, there's, there's that desire, and that's why he says in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay? So a Christian can walk in the flesh, okay? uh, which is why, if they're walking in the flesh, that's why they have fallen in chapter 6, verse number 1, because they're not walking in the Spirit. Okay? They've walked, they're walking in the flesh, and so therefore they have fallen. Then those that are spiritual, again, this is, these are believers that are trying to help restore this person. Okay? Uh, again, if this is a lost person, what are you restoring him to? There's nothing to restore them to because they're not even saved, right? So this is a saved person who was in the church. They have fallen into the sin, and because of that, you know, whatever 
whatever discipline had to be there, but the purpose is to try to restore that person, to get them back to where they were spiritually, okay? So then, again, he talks about bearing one another's burdens. Again, as, as, I am, 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 as I'm going to fulfill the law of Christ and loving the Lord and loving my brother, if I see somebody who is struggling, then I will want to help them. I will want to encourage them. I'll try to lift them up, right? I'm just not going to let them struggle on their own, okay? Um, I'm going to try to help them whatever way I can. I'm going to try to be able to help them, okay? That's why even James talks about, he says, if you see a brother or a sister who is uh, naked and destitute and without food and without clothing, all these different things, and then you just go over and you just say, God bless you, what, what does that do, right? No, what does he say? He says you need to help them, give them food, give them clothing, whatever you can do. That's how you're being able to help them. Okay, so you're helping to bear their burden. Okay, but when he comes down here again, he says, um, "Let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing." Yes, you know we can't. I'm not sure which one of you said it, but we can't just depend on others to do our own work for us, right? You know, um, that's kind of the mentality that our society is living in today, right? Everybody else does the work, and I get the benefits for it, right? I don't have to do anything. I just, you know, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. But I want all the benefits right? Um, that's, that's not what he's telling us to do, right? He's saying, look, you have a burden. There's something that you're bearing. You're responsible for it. And I think this is where that goes back to. It's, it's your responsibility, okay? Watch what he says. Let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. So you've got to determine, you've got to make sure that you're doing it right for God, right? That your, your heart is right with God. Your heart is right with others, okay? Why? For every man shall bear his own burden. Why? Because you're going to stand responsible to God for this. You're going to stand responsible for God for what you have done and how you have lived, right? Now, in, in this life, we can encourage and we can help people, right? But when we stand before God, there ain't nobody going to be standing next to you encouraging and helping. You know, it, you're, you're on your own. And that's why he says in the previous verse, you better make sure that what you're doing is right, you have to make sure it's right, right? The preacher can't make sure what you're doing is right. Your, your mom and dad can't make sure that what you're doing is right. He says, for let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So I have to make sure that what I'm doing for God is pleasing to the Lord, right? I'm not just doing it to please other people. I'm not just here at church because, you know, this is just, you know, I've got to show up because if I don't show up, people will start wondering, they'll start calling me or whatever, you know. No, there's there, the purpose behind it, again, is those two commandments, loving the Lord with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, okay? And so as I go through life and I live my life, yes, there's going to be burdens and things that I'm going to have to bear and Thankfully, there are people that come alongside and can help bear those burdens with me and encourage me along the way. But ultimately, what I do in life falls upon me. And I have to stand before God for that. And that's why he says in verse number seven, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows shall he also reap, right? You can, you can deceive other people, but you cannot deceive God. You can convince other people you're doing it for all the right motives and everything else, but God is the one who truly knows, right? And God says he'll not be mocked. And whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap, right? Um, and that includes Christians. Yes, we're not going to be judged for our sin, 
there's absolutely nothing. We're not judged for our sin. But how we live our life, God says, you will reap what you sow. Right? If you're just living for self, guess what? You're not going to have anything for God. You're going to reap what you sow. Right? And that's, he just talked about that in, in chapter 5, about walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. Look, you walk in the flesh, you're going to reap it. You walk in the Spirit, guess what? You're going to reap it. Brother Corey, real quick, and we got to... Yeah, especially those who are of the household of faith, especially those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And that's what I'm saying. We ought, to, we ought to know one another so well in the church, right, that we know who people are, we know what they're going through, we can encourage them, we can help them, we can uplift them. But again, if we're just punching in for church and punching out for church, we're going to have a hard time doing that, right? We're going to have a really hard time loving our brother loving our neighbor as ourself, when we don't even really know who, who our brothers and sisters are, right? All right, we gotta, we got to shut it down there. Um, we'll come back next week. And again, I, I want us to look kind of what we did in the Old Testament. Do we find the law of God, what we would say, the, the moral law, um, what we would say, the Ten Commandments or things, did, is, is that over? Is all the law done? Are we just under uh, grace, you know? Or do we still find the law of God even in the New Testament, right? So we'll look at some of that. You can maybe try to start studying some of that out as well this week, all right? God bless you. You are dismissed.